to Criminal Curiosity, a true crime podcast. I'm your host, Jade, and thank you so much for joining me today. Last week, we talked about the 1957 El Segundo murders, and this week, we're going to be talking about the murders of Ashley Pond and Murata Gaddis, also the life of Ward Weaver. When I first wanted to start this podcast about, like, when I was in college in, like, 2019, I remember this was one of the first cases that I wanted to record and I researched the entire thing and sat there. I hope that the cars passing by, you cannot hear them because I can hear them and I have headphones on, but I remember researching the entire case and literally propping my phone up on a water bottle and recording from it and I posted it and I thought to myself oh my god this sounds absolutely horrible and I deleted it so I've known about this case and I've wanted to cover this case for a really long time because it is heartbreaking but without further ado let's get started on March 1st 1989 Ashley Pond was born Ashley was 12 years old when this case took place, and at the time, she and her mother, Lori Pond, lived in the Newell Creek Village Apartments in Oregon City, Oregon. Ashley's father was incarcerated for sexually assaulting her, so he wasn't in the picture. Ashley was in the seventh grade at Gardner Middle School. She was on the swim team and dance teams and had lots of friends. She was described as an outgoing and just overall kind and smart person. Ashley did the same thing she did every morning. On January 9th, 2002, she left home to walk to the bus stop, but she never arrived. Lori was surprised when the school contacted her to find out why Ashley was not at school because Lori was expecting her daughter to be at school. She wasn't sick or anything. Lori called the police and they told her that Ashley, you know, the whole, she's just a runaway because she's 12. I don't know how, I don't, I really cannot give you an actual explanation as to why police do this, but they basically told Lori that Ashley's a runaway. And I'm not sure why they didn't bother looking for her when she was a minor. Linda O'Neill was a private investigator and a family friend of the Ponds. She told Lori the same thing. She said, you know, oh, well, you know, she'll call and she'll be home in no time. Um, like, Linda, this is not what I want to hear when my daughter is missing. You're not making the situation any better. Ashley was still missing a week later, and Lori contacted caseworkers in Oregon to see if anyone might assist her in the search for her daughter, but not a single soul got back to her. Authorities thought for a split second, you know, maybe Ashley didn't run away. Maybe she was kidnapped. So they alerted the FBI. Authorities began investigating Ashley's life and her behavior before her disappearance. Her father paid her frequent visits in 2001 before she went missing. 
He stopped visiting because he was sentenced to 220 months in prison for sexually assaulting Ashley since she was eight years old. The apartments where Ashley and her mother lived were believed to not be the greatest place to live. There were a lot of predators and mentally ill people in the neighborhood. Authorities investigated Ashley Pond's neighborhood and discovered that there were 90 sex offenders within a one-mile radius. Ashley's classmates were scared because something happened to their friend. They didn't really have any answers. And Miranda Gaddis, who was on the dance team and was friends with Ashley, was interviewed by the news, where she said, you know, it's quite scary because it's your friend. She's missing. You know, it could have been any one of us. And it's just a scary time to be living in. Two months later, in March 2002, there was still no sign of Ashley. No tips had come in, and police were really at a loss of what to do. On March 8, 2002, police received a call reporting yet another girl had gone missing. She was headed to the same school, the same bus stop, and the school called her mother to ask, you know, why isn't your daughter in school today? Miranda Gaddis, Ashley's friend, was identified as the missing girl. More than 60 FBI agents were assigned to the case. Miranda Gaddis was born on November 18, 1988, and she was raised by her mother. In 1995, her father, Jason Gaddis, was convicted of kidnapping and assaulting two minors. Miranda was six years old when police arrived at his house to arrest him and he held her as a hostage to avoid being caught. After that, he was sentenced to six months in prison and 54 years of probation. Yes, six months in prison. I don't know who made that sentence and who didn't look at the charges, but they gave him six months. Not sure what was going through their head at that time. Miranda's mother, Michelle, divorced Jason and began dating a man named Brett. He was horrible as well. He assaulted Michelle's children for four years. He was eventually caught and charged with 15 counts of sexual assault, receiving a 20-year prison sentence. Michelle's children were placed in foster care for 18 months before returning to live with their mother. Miranda and her siblings were friends with Brian Daniel, who was a sex offender who was then arrested for the murder of a drug dealer two years before Ashley and Miranda went missing. While they're investigating the disappearance of both Miranda and Ashley, they found out that Ashley told her elementary school teacher that a man kissed her on the lips and sexually assaulted her. The man threatened her that he would testify at her father's trial and claim that she made up every single thing if she told on him. The information was passed from the teacher to child welfare officials, but nothing was done. They stumble across a man named Ward Weaver, Ashley and Miranda's neighbor. Officers arrived at his home and questioned him about the allegations. Ward informed the police that he attempted to assist Ashley because he knew who her father was and he wanted to be there for her, but he claims he never touched her, never kissed her, nothing at all. Ward Weaver had a daughter named Mallory, who attended the same school in the same grade as Ashley, and the three of them were friends who met on the dance team. Investigators got 
dogs to smell around the house, but discovered nothing. Ward's brother, Rodney, told police that he would not be surprised if Ward was involved. They only viewed him as a man raising his daughter, and he quote-unquote had a solid alibi, so the police were back to where they started. There was now a $50,000 reward, but no amount of tips from the public got investigators anywhere. Ward dug a hole in his yard and filled it with concrete three days after Ashley went missing, and he did this with the assistance of his son. This is a very random thought, but where... You know when investigators, they're like, okay, there's a $50,000 reward for anyone that has any information on this case. So if you help someone, if you have information that ends up truly solving a case, where does that money come from? Is it like a piece of the money from like the lottery? Is it taxpayer money? I, where does the money come from? And do you actually get the money? Now that is a good question. The news channel KATU did a story on the case, and Ward was interviewed by Anna Song. When asked about the concrete slab, he became defensive as they walked across it, saying, quote, I'm putting in a jacuzzi. The last time I checked, that wasn't against the law, end quote. Ward indicated in the interview that when the girls went missing, he was at home, and that the time frame does not allow for anything to be feasible. He claimed that on the day that Ashley went missing, he went to work, so that wouldn't have given him any time to kidnap Ashley. Turns out, Ward was 30 minutes late for work, arriving at 9.30 instead of 9 a.m., so that was a lie. His excuse was that his alarm clock was malfunctioning that morning. It just so happened to malfunction the day a girl goes missing. Right. Let's just say that the alarm clock is not in your favor. On the day Miranda went missing, he claimed to be caring for his sick daughter. She was not sick. She was at school, so that was another lie. He also failed his polygraph test twice, so that's four lies. And according to authorities, that still was not enough to obtain a search warrant. Jim Redden, a writer for the Portland Tribune, received a tip from Linda O'Neill, who was the private investigator and the family friend of the Pons, and he interviewed Ward Weaver. Ward told Jim Redden that he was the FBI's number one suspect, despite the FBI saying that they did not have a suspect yet. And that is obviously weird because if I'm not the top suspect for the FBI, if they have said that I'm not, why am I creating these false allegations on myself saying that I'm the number one suspect? Ward Weaver stated in an interview with Good Morning America on July 9th, 2002, saying, quote, I have no problem with them looking at me as a suspect. The problems are coming with what they're doing regarding questions that are being asked of my family. They're telling parents of my daughter's friends not to let their daughter spend the night because I'm a prime suspect and their daughter might be next, end quote. Well, I think they're right. He informed friends that he was becoming frustrated because he felt like a target and that he would be moving out of the country, most likely to Mexico. On August 13th, 2002, Ward's son Francis and his girlfriend were living with him. Francis's girlfriend claimed that after Ward picked her up from work and drove her home 
the two realized that they were alone at home, and his demeanor completely changed. He brought her into his daughter's room and sexually assaulted her. She hurried out of the house half-naked after he was done and grabbed a blue tarp to cover herself. She flagged down someone and went to the Payless shoe store to call Francis. The same night, Francis, Ward Weaver's son, called the police, and Francis told authorities that his father attempted to rape his girlfriend and that he felt his father was involved in Ashley and Miranda's disappearance. Ward Weaver, now 39 years old, was arrested for attempted sexual assault and a search warrant was granted to search his property. On August 24, 2002, a storage unit registered in his name was discovered behind his house, containing hair inside plastic bags, extension cords, and handcuffs. There, investigators discovered Miranda Gaddis's remains inside an empty microwave box. Ashley Pond's remains were discovered on August 25th beneath the concrete slab in Ward's backyard, where she had been stored in a 55-gallon barrel, and Ashley's blood alcohol level was more than double the legal limit. So, you're probably wondering, who is Ward Weaver? So let me tell you. Ward Weaver was born in Humboldt County, California on April 6, 1963 to Trish and Ward Weaver Jr. Ward had a difficult childhood. Obviously, that is no excuse for being such an absolute disgusting monster, but he just had a difficult childhood. His father abandoned the family when he was four years old. Trish, his mother, later remarried Bob Boudreaux, who was an abusive alcoholic, and the family relocated to Portland, Oregon. Ward would torture his siblings. By also having a difficult childhood, he was a difficult human being to deal with. He once chained his brother, Robert Boudreaux, to a tree near a dog since he knew that his brother was afraid of dogs, and he would shoot his sister with a BB gun until she was covered in bruises. His mother thought that he was a demon. End of story. Ward allegedly raped and beat a teenage relative in 1981. Police investigated the allegations, but prosecutors chose not to arrest Ward since he was enlisted in the military and would be leaving soon. He joined the U.S. Navy Reserves after high school and was discharged a year later on May 17, 1982, for heavy drinking and disregarding his duties. Ward's father, Ward Weaver Jr. or Sr., I don't, Sr. Anyway, Ward Weaver's father was convicted of double murder in 1982 and was suspected of murdering 24 to 26 other people. He informed investigators that he was a truck driver who stopped to help a couple who were having car problems before he decided to kill Barbara Lavoie, who was 23, and 18-year-old Robert Radford. Weaver, the father, asked Robert to assist him in loading something into the back of the truck. Then he clubbed Robert to death with a metal bar. He kidnapped Barbara, raped her, and then tied her to a tree at his home in Oroville, California. After she bit his finger, he became enraged and strangled her to death before burying her in his backyard with the help of his 10-year-old son, Ward Weaver, who helped dug the grave in the backyard. 
While in the Navy, Ward met his future wife, Maria Stout, who was from the Philippines. Ward's parents welcomed the couple into their home, and they were soon expecting their first child. Ward? Okay, you know how I said that Ward had a a difficult childhood. He was a difficult sibling to deal with. He was also a very abusive and disgusting, difficult husband as well. Ward and Maria located to Bakersfield, California in 1984 in the hopes of reuniting with his father, who was now on trial for double murder. Maria and Ward got married in August 1984. Francis Weaver was born in December 1982. Ward was then sentenced to three years in prison for assault on June 15, 1986, when he struck a teenage girl who was the daughter of a friend in Fairfield, California, with a block of concrete. When Ward was released in 1989, he and Maria relocated to Canby, Oregon, where Maria gave birth to their fourth child, Mallory, who became friends with Ashley and Miranda. Maria filed a restraining order against Ward in 1993, and that ended their marriage. Ward now had a new girlfriend named Christy Sloan, and in July 1995, he beat her with a cast iron skillet. He was then arrested, but Christy refused to testify against him. They reconciled in October 1995, got married in February 1996, and were married for four years. Ward was indicted and charged with six counts of aggravated murder and various counts of rape and sexual abuse on October 2, 2002. Ward Weaver pleaded guilty to two charges and no contest to the rest in September 2004. He accepted a plea bargain in order to avoid the death penalty and was sentenced to two life sentences without the possibility of parole. Ward Weaver is 59 years old and is currently serving a life sentence at the Snake River Correctional Institution. Oregon Governor John Kitzeber launched an investigation into the treatment of Ashley Pond's allegations against Ward Weaver in 2002. Not a single soul took her allegations seriously until it was too late, and as a result, she was let down. There was another PI in this case besides Linda. He contacted the police and discussed working together. Police did not like that idea. So, for free, the PI went to Ashley's apartment, the dog smelled her clothes, and then the dog led the PI all the way to Ward Weaver's door. The PI asked Ward if he could look around, and Ward agreed. The dog detected Ashley's scent in the hallway, as well as a scent on the concrete slab where her remains were discovered. The PI created a report and delivered it to investigators two weeks after Miranda went missing. But again, nothing was done. Lori and Michelle both filed lawsuits against the Oregon Department of Human Services for failing to investigate their allegations and the lawsuit was eventually settled for $10,000. Miranda's younger sister, Mariah, visited Ward in prison in 2009, expressing, quote, 
I had to know what happened. It was the only way I could put it behind me. End quote. Ward then admitted to killing Ashley and Miranda with, quote, his bare hands. And when Mariah visited him, he even told her that he was going to kill her next. In 2010, Mallory, Ward Weaver's 21-year-old daughter, attacked a security guard and was arrested while attempting to break her mother out of a mental psychiatric hospital. Because she had a clean record, she pleaded guilty and was acquitted. Francis Weaver, Ward's son, was arrested and charged with murder on February 17, 2014. He murdered Edward Spangler in what authorities say was a botched drug deal. Francis was not the one who shot Eric in the face, but he was present with the two other individuals when Edward was killed, and he was sentenced to life in prison. End of episode thoughts. Ward Weaver, the father, Ward Weaver, the son, and Francis Weaver are all killers. Well, I don't want to say Francis Weaver is a killer, but he was he's in that same line. You know, this case is the perfect definition of the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. That describes this story very well. There was also a rumor that Francis was not Ward's biological son. So I don't I don't know what you want to do with that information, but when Francis called the police on August 13th to report that his father sexually assaulted his girlfriend, he said, quote, And from now on, my family will be known for doing what's right. End quote. And that hurts, because I feel like Francis wanted to live a good life. But he ended up being in the same situation and, quite frankly, being in the same place as his father. Ashley and Miranda deserved a good life. They endured so much pain at such a young age that they shouldn't experienced. I wish there was a system that listened to children when they made serious allegations, but no one apparently listens to children for some odd reason. They failed Ashley and Miranda. They failed their families, and they may have failed many more children. I'm also tired of police officers claiming someone is a runaway when they go missing, and I'm also getting tired of saying no one did anything about it. It's it's hurtful when no one does their job. It's also very frustrating. And with that, today's story comes to an end. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Remember, every Thursday there is a new episode. You can keep up with me and the podcast at Instagram, not at Instagram, on Instagram, at Criminal Curiosity Pod. The Twitter is Crim Curiosity, and TikTok is Criminal Curiosity, where you can see a preview of the case before the podcast is uploaded. That is all that I have for you today. Please be safe out there. Look out for one another. Until next time, bye everyone. Mm-hmm.